your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 7 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. If you do not have your Bible, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 902 in the Pew Bible. Page 902 in the Pew Bible. And if you do not have a Bible, then we invite you to take that Pew Bible with you. That's our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and, and use it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, page 902 in the Pew Bible. Now, in Scripture, God clearly calls Christians to love. He clearly calls us as, as followers of Jesus Christ to love. We're called to love God and love our neighbor. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, when Jesus is asked by the lawyer, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered the lawyer and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, depend all the law and the prophets. So every commandment in Scripture can be boiled down to love God and love your neighbor. We're called to love God and love our neighbor. And our neighbor, as Scripture shows us, is anyone who is around us in our vicinity who, who might need our help, who might need mercy. We're called to love God and love one another. We're also called to, to love one another. In the fellowship of Christ, in the church, we're called to love fellow Christians. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, Jesus says, if you have love for one another. In the church, as people look at the church, they're to see us, not bickering and fussing and fighting and that sort of thing, but they're to see us love one another. We're called to love one another, love fellow Christians. We're even called to love our enemies, to love our enemies. Now, that's countercultural, isn't it? Instead of hating our enemies and, and fighting with our enemies, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. Luke 6, 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Christians are called to love. We must love. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, it's what we must do. We know this truth. We understand this. We, we know those verses, right? We, we've studied those verses for, for years as followers of Christ in Sunday school and church. We, we've heard those verses pronounced to us. We know we are to love, but what does this love we're called to, what does that look like? We're called not just to, to love as the world loves, it's not just this emotional thing, a feeling that we get, but the love that Christians are called to is perfect love, a, a love that God indeed extends to us. And as we've been looking at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we've already defined perfect love. Perfect love is selfless, sacrificial acts for the benefit of others. That, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about emotions. We're not talking about, about feelings, but we're talking about actions. Love is an action. It's an activity. It's something we do, not we feel, we do. We love. So selfless, it's a selfless, sacrificial act or actions for the benefit of others. And we just see this de demonstrated for us as we've talked about the last couple of weeks by God's love God so loved the world this is the way in which God loved the world he gave he sacrificed his one and only son Jesus Christ so that whoever believes in Jesus might have everlasting life it is sacrificial for the benefit of uh, benefit of others and then last week, we, we began to look at the properties of love here in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And, and there's 15 properties of love that Paul lays out for us in, in this little paragraph. 
And we, we saw the first seven last week, and so today we're going to pick up where we left off with number eight, and we're going to see the rest of these. So as we consider the 15 properties of love, though, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must, absolutely must, set our hearts to pursue these properties. We must set our hearts to pursue the properties of perfect love. And that's the message that we need to learn from, from this text of Scripture. As followers of Jesus Christ, we don't just need to look at this and say, oh yeah, that sounds good and great, but we need to pursue these properties. We need to, to look to, to make them a part of our lives. And it's not easy, right? It's not an easy task because our sinful flesh wants to push against many of these properties. Our sinful flesh says, no, we're not going to love our enemies. We're going to hate our enemies because they hate us. That's what the sinful flesh says. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we put the flesh to death on Calvary's cross, right? That the baptism that we saw this morning as a baptized Christian, it's dying with Christ. That's us represented in baptism, going under the waters. That's dying in Christ. We die with him. We put our flesh on Calvary's cross with him. Our flesh dies with Christ. And we're raised again to new life in him. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we put to death those sinful desires, the desire to hate, the desire to, to be jealous, the desire to envy, desire to, to all of these things. And we live for Christ. We pursue the properties of love. So I want to read our text this morning and then we'll, we'll get right into it. So if you found your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please stand with me in reverence to reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So just by way of review, let's, let's go through the first seven again so that if you missed last week, you can fill in your blanks on your handout there. First of all, love is patient and kind. These two go together. These two are attributes of God. This is what God does towards us. He is patient and kind. He is patient. That means long-suffering. Right? He's long-suffering. He, he suffers through our sin. He suffers through our rebellion to bring us to Christ. God is patient and he is kind. To be kind is to be merciful. He is merciful towards us. We don't deserve his kindness. We don't deserve his goodness. But he has mercy towards us and gives us his love and grace. So love, love is per, uh, patient and kind. Third, love uh, does not envy. It does not envy. Love is not jealous. It's not jealous over other people and their successes, but it rejoices with other people in their successes. Love does not boast. It does not boast. Love doesn't brag. It's not proud. It's not puffed up. Love is not arrogant. Uh, arrogance, of course, is someone who has a, uh, an exaggerated uh, view of themselves, an exaggerated con conception of themselves. Love is not arrogant. It's not, doesn't boast, it's not proud. Sixth, love is not rude. Love is not rude. It's not, it, it's not dishonorable, disgraceful, or uh, indecent towards other people, right? It's not rude. Rather, love treats people with dignity and honor because every person, every person, is created in, in the image and likeness of God. So every person, whether we agree with their lifestyle or not, whether we like the things they do or not, every person is created in the image and likeness of God and deserves to be, be treated with dignity and respect. 
And so love is not rude. It treats people with dignity and respect. And then number seven, love is not selfish. It's not selfish. It's not self-seeking. Love doesn't seek its own way, as the text says. It's not selfish. Love does not just want, it's got to be my way or no way, right? That's the way our attitude, our sinful flesh wants to say, it's my way, I want my way. But rather, love puts other people's first and other people's desires and needs ahead of our own. As Philippians 2.4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. A loving person is selfless, selfless, not selfish. Love puts other people first. And so now today we pick up with number eight. Number eight. The eighth property of perfect love, a loving person is not irritable. A loving person is not irritable. Now that word irritable, irritable means uh, is not easily angered. A loving person is not easily angered. Now, you, you see some these folks sometimes that uh, have these short fuses, right? They just fly off at the end of the handle at, at just any cause, right? They just, they're just angry. They're always angry, or, or they get angry really easily. Well, love is not, is not like that. Love is not like that. Love is not irritable. Love is not angry. We see this kind of, of attitude represented in Genesis chapter 4, right? Right at the beginning of the Bible, we see anger rear its ugly head. Genesis chapter 4, and if you want to flip over there with me, Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7, we see, uh, we see anger arise in the first two sons of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. This, of course, is the story of Cain and Abel. And then Abel was a keeper of the sheep, while Cain was a worker of the ground. And in, chapter, in verse 3 it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions, that is, the best portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. He was irritable, right? He was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So here is Cain and Abel. Cain brings the, uh, a, a portion of his first fruits, right? He brings a portion of the fruit of the ground that he has gathered. He brings it as an offering for God. Abel brings the first fruits of his of his flocks, the firstborn of his flocks. And, and it says he brings the fatted portion, that is the best portion he gives over to God. Now, I don't want to go into this text too much here, but, but you will notice there that Cain just brings him of the fruit. But Abel brings the very first fruit, the, the best portions of the fruit. And so God receives Abel's offering but he had no regard for Cain's offering. Now, this shouldn't be a big deal. Cain would just say, well, let me learn from this, right? And, and next time, let me bring God the best of my fruit. Let me bring him the first fruits. But instead, Cain gets angry. He gets angry. He allows anger to get a hold of him. And that anger causes his his, his soul to, to rage against his brother Abel, and then as it goes on, he does the most despicable thing. He takes the life of his own brother because of his anger. Oh, how easy it would be for any of us to take it to that extent. That's why Jesus says, that he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, the law says, do not murder. But I say to you, 
Do not be angry. Do not be angry. Because the, the reality is that most people, if we did not have the law holding us back, we would do as Cain would do. We have, have the ability to allow anger to go so far as to commit murder. I mean, that's where anger leads to. Praise God, we have restraint on us that holds us back from that, but how easy it would be for us as sinners living in this old sinful flesh to follow anger all the way to that point. Jesus says, do not be angry. We're not to be angry. We're not to allow anger to build up in us. Even notice what God tells Cain to do in that verse. Verse 7, if you, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Sin's desire is for you, right? God sees the anger building in Cain. He says, sin is crouching at the door. Sin's desire, it's for you. So heed my warning, Cain but you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Now let me just say, even as followers of Jesus Christ, living in these old bodies of sin, anger still rears its ugly head every now and again, does it not? Can anyone say they, they don't ever get angry anymore? Not a hand in the place, right? Uh, anger, it, it arises in us. But see, here's what we got to do. Love is not irritable. Love is not angry. So when we begin to feel that anger build up inside of us, we recognize it. We say, God, Lord, I, I feel this anger building in me. Lord, can you put it to rest? Lord, can you help me to, to hang my anger on the cross? Can you help me put my anger to death right now in this moment so that I don't take this into make this sin? See, we've got to be watching for anger. We, we realize when anger begins to arise and we put it on Calvary's cross. Like every other sin that, that comes along our way, every temptation that comes our way, we've got to take that temptation and hang it on the cross. And we've got to make the decision, I'm going to do something else. Instead of being angry, instead of being angry, instead of allowing this anger to build up inside of me, I'm going to put that on the cross, and I'm going to seek peace. I am going to seek peace instead of anger. Love resists and rules over anger. Love seeks peace. James tells us this in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Be slow to anger. When you feel anger arise, pray and put it on the cross. Turn away from your anger. And pursue peace instead so love is not irritable love is not irritable number nine love is not resentful a loving person is not resentful it's not resentful now that word there resentful in the ESV ESV translates it as resentful but this little phrase here in, in this text it literally literally means uh, love does not keep record. It does not keep count of wrong. It does not keep record of wrong or wrongdoing. Uh, you, ever, you ever think about that? You, you, you start taking notes, right? Here's a wrongdoing. There's a wrongdoing. Here's another wrongdoing. And you begin to, to write that out and, and keep that in mind. Now, we, we know the old saying... Forgive and what? Forget. Forgive and forget. Now, can we really do that? I mean, let's be honest here. Can we really forgive and forget? 
I mean, if our mind was like a computer hard drive, yeah, we could do that. We could just hit the delete button, wipe that out, and it would be gone. But as human beings, our, minds doesn't, our mind doesn't work that way. Right? We can't forget. We forgive, and, and we, we need to do something with that. We need to forget it in a way, uh, but, but what does it mean? To forgive and to forget, that means to, to no longer hold account of that, uh, no longer hold the record of that. Don't keep dragging it up. Don't keep dragging up past transgressions to use as ammunition towards someone else. Now, we see this a lot in marriage, don't we? We see this a lot in marriage. Here's the way that kind of works, right? We just, you know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, so let me kind of use a, an illustration here. You had the Thanksgiving pecan pie. Right, you, you've, all of the pecan pie, pie is, is gone except for this one slice. And, and your wife, she is, she's, she's wanting that last slice of pecan pie. She is saving that last piece of pecan pie. And, and she has her heart set upon it, man. And, and, and she says, I'm going to save it. I'm going to eat it today for, for lunch. Today at lunch, I'm going to have this last piece of pecan pie. And the husband goes in there and before lunch and he doesn't really realize that she's saving this piece of pecan pie. But So he goes in, mm, I'm going to have that. And he, he digs into it, he eats the last piece of pecan pie. Then the wife goes in, she opens up the refrigerator to get out her last her piece of pecan pie and it's gone. What did you do? Right? Oh, I'm sorry, dear. I, I I did not know you were saving that. I, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. Well, wife says, all right. Well, you know, Christmas is right around the corner. I'll get a piece then, right? I, I forgive you. Now, the godly thing to do is not to hold account, right? To, to not hold a record of that incident. But then, you know, a week, two weeks later, something else comes up and and you're sitting there, you're, you're talking about, you know, what to watch on TV, and, and well, I want to watch this, well, I want to watch that, and, and the wife brings up, well, you remember last week, you ate the last piece of pecan pie, right? She's keeping account, she's keeping a record of it. Well, love doesn't do that. You can't forget that the husband ate the pecan pie, but you can say, well, I forgive you, so I'm not going to hold you accountable for that anymore. Your account is free and clear. And that's what love does. Love doesn't keep a record of, of past wrongdoings. When something's been forgiven, we wipe it clean. We don't drag it back up. We don't dress, dredge back up past failures to throw back up in our, our loved one's face at a time that it's most convenient for us, right? We let bygones be bygones. We let past sins go away and is that not what God does for us is this not what God does for our own sins we see how God forgives in Psalm chapter 103 verses 10 through 12 he does not deal with us according to our sins nor does God repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is the steadfast Love, the patient love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now God is all-knowing. We say God forgives and forgets, but God doesn't literally forgive and forget. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows everything. It's all in his mind, always. He knows even what we're going to sin, how we're going to sin against him this afternoon. He already knows it. He knows our sin, but when he forgives us, he wipes our record clean. When we come to the day of judgment, and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to be pulling up our past sins. Oh, you remember when you were 18 and you did this number? You remember when you were 21 and you did that? You remember when you were 23? He, he's not going to pull those up. 
Because He sees us in Christ. He has forgiven us in Christ. That record has been erased. Now God remembers it in His mind, but that record has been erased. It's not going to come up at the judgment seat against us. It's been wiped clean. Our record is clean. We no longer have a record with God. And so Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we aren't resentful. We don't hold people accountable for their sins once we have forgiven them. We, we wipe, wipe, wipe their record clean. No longer holding account of past sins and failures. Instead of being resentful, dear Christian, instead of keeping a record of wrongdoing, forgive. Forgive. Let me ask you, are you holding a grudge against someone for some past sin, refusing to give forgiveness? Jesus says, pray like this. Lord, forgive me of my sins as I have forgiven those who sin against me. To know God's forgiveness means to give forgiveness to other people. Whatever sin you might be holding on to, whatever record you might still be holding someone account to, forgive them. Dear Christian, today, forgive them. Let it go. Wipe that record clean. Forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. So love is not irritable or resentful. Number 10, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. In other words, love does not celebrate sin. Love does not celebrate sin. This, of course, is something that was taking place in Corinth. If you remember back to chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, Paul tells, he addresses the Corinthian church. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated even among the pagans. The pagans don't even tolerate this kind of conduct. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. You are arrogant. You are celebrating that sin. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you, Love does not rejoice over sin. It does not celebrate sin. It can't celebrate sin. Now, remember, we treat everyone with dignity and respect. Regardless of their sin, we, we understand that people sin, and we may not like people's sin. We treat people, though, with dignity and respect, but we can't celebrate their sin. Now, this is completely countercultural, isn't it? Because our culture says you should celebrate sin. You should fly that rainbow flag. You should rejoice in homosexuality. You should rejoice in transgenderism. You should rejoice in, in premarital sex and cohabitation and all of these things. You should rejoice. You should celebrate sin. That's what our culture tells us we need to do. But we cannot rejoice in wrongdoing. We cannot rejoice in sin. Now, we can treat the homosexual, the transgender, the, the sinner who is living in open sin against God. We can treat them with dignity and respect, and we better treat them with dignity and respect. Christ expects us to. You remember Jesus he was accused of being a friend to, to tax collectors and harlots and, and sinners, right? And when the prostitute ran up to him and began to weep on his feet while the other religious people around him was like, well, if he knew who she was, he wouldn't allow her to touch him. But he embraced her, right? He treated her with respect. He treated her with dignity because she was a, cre a creation of God, created in the image and likeness of God. And so we, we treat people with dignity and respect always. But we can't celebrate sin. 
Love does not celebrate sin. In fact, to celebrate sin, that is an action of hate. And that's something our world doesn't understand. But to, to take sin and celebrate sin as it's no big deal, that is a, an activity, an action of hate. To celebrate homosexuality, to celebrate transgenderism, to celebrate sin that is an abomination before God, to celebrate sin that will cast someone into a devil's hell for all of eternity, to celebrate that is absolutely hatred for that person. I don't care about you. Yeah, I'll celebrate it, I'll celebrate it, and I'll clap you straight to hell while I watch you suffer in your sin. To rejoice in wrongdoing is not love. To rejoice in wrongdoing is absolute hatred for the person who is living in sin, headed to a devil's hell. Love speaks truth. Truth in love. We have to address the sin. We have to be honest about the sin. Not in a hateful way, not in an arrogant way, but in a loving way. Address the sin. Loving the sinner. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Rather, love mourns over sin. It mourns over sin. As Christians, we cannot celebrate sin. We cannot celebrate homosexuality. We cannot celebrate transgenderism, premarital sex, cohabitation, drunkenness, disrespectful attitudes, etc., etc., etc. We cannot celebrate these things. Perfect love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Rather, perfect love rejoices with the truth. Perfect love rejoices with the truth. It rejoices in righteousness. It rejoices in righteousness. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 24 says this, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Right? When we see life, uh, life come uh, into a, a person, and we see a, a, a new believer be, beginning to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in them. When we see them begin to, to turn away from sin and, and shed sinful attitudes and sinful desires and, and, and we see them begin to, to grow in the faith and, and we see people, fellow Christians, becoming more and more like Jesus. When we see people begin to embrace righteousness and mourn over sin, we celebrate that. We celebrate that. We rejoice in that. We rejoice when, when our children make good, righteous decisions for their lives. We rejoice when people choose to follow Christ instead of following the ways of this world. We rejoice in righteousness. Furthermore, we rejoice in redemption. We rejoice in redemption. We rejoice with the truth, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. And so we rejoice when people come to faith in Jesus, when they follow Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have, we have now received reconciliation. We've received redemption. Oh, we rejoice to see the life of Christ come alive in someone's life. We rejoice in baptisms. We rejoice in conversions. We celebrate when people follow Jesus. Love does not celebrate wrongdoing. Rather, love rejoices with the truth. 
rejoices to see the lost come to the truth of Jesus Christ, rejoices to see people overcoming sin, to live in the truth of God's Word by the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Do you rejoice with the truth? Or do you rejoice in wrongdoing? Where do you rejoice? Where is your joy in life? Dear Christian, rejoice with truth. Now we come to the final four properties of perfect love with which Paul now turns back to the positive. So he had uh, eight negatives, two positive, eight negatives, and now we go to the last four positives. Number 12, a loving person bears all things. Love bears all things. Now, this word bears all things, this little phrase here, means to bear up against difficulties. Bear up against difficulties. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, Paul uses this same kind of a phrase there. We endure anything. We bear all things, right? We endure anything, talking about himself, talking about other apostles. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. We bear anything. We bear anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. That's what love does. Love will bear any hardship, any burden, anything that might come to clear the path, to remove obstacles so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can go out. It bears all things. Just as Christ bore bore the full burden of our sin for us on Calvary's cross, perfect love bears any difficulty for the sake of the gospel. Next week, Pam's going to be handing out backpacks. And we're going to be doing that here through our church, down at the Family Life Center. And and here here is love, right? People have donated their time, they've donated money, they've donated items to give to those who, who need these things. And it's removing an obstacle. It's removing an obstacle. Now Pam is going to be able to, to share the gospel with these families by removing an obstacle. When we go out to, to, to feed the hungry, we remove an obstacle. We bear a burden. We remove an obstacle so that we can advance the gospel. We give sacrificially of ourselves, giving to the church, giving to the ministries of the church, working in the ministry of the church. We bear burdens so that we might advance the gospel. We bear the burdens of hard people, right? Of hard people who are difficult to deal with. We bear the burden to try to remove obstacles so that we can speak the gospel into their lives. Love bears all things. Next, number 13, love believes all things. Love bears all things and love believes all things. Now, This word here, believes all things. Now, what Paul is talking about here, he does not mean that love is gullible and and naive. It it does not necessarily here believe the best in everyone, right? That's kind of, some people will take it that direction. You're supposed to believe the best in everyone. No, we we understand that everybody's a sinner. Every person is a rotten old sinner. You're a rotten old sinner. I'm a rotten old sinner. Love doesn't believe the best of everyone. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Love is honest about sin. We have to be honest about sin. Rather, what Paul is talking about here is that love never loses faith. Love never loses faith. The Greek word for faith and belief are the same word. And and so that's what Paul is talking about here. Love never loses faith. Paul shows this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through uh, 15. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. 
perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke. We also believe. We have faith. And so we also speak, Paul says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Love abides in faith. It abides in faith. Paul says, we believe, we have faith. We believe all things. Therefore, we speak. We proclaim the gospel. Even when we're crushed, even when we, we are, are pressed down, even when we're uh, perplexed, even when we're, we're driven to despair, we speak, we proclaim the gospel. Because one day this life of hardship is going to be over. Christ has won the victory. He has won the victory. Whatever life throws us, one day it's going to come to an end and we're going to in, enter into His eternal kingdom and know His everlasting joy. That's how you can bear all things. That's the only way we can bear all things is by having all faith. That what Christ has done for us will come to a conclusion when He returns. We will see the glory of his eternal kingdom perfect love believes that all selfless sacrifice for the glory of christ and the benefit of others is worth it perfect love believes that such selfish sacrifices will ultimately be rewarded in the life to come therefore dear friend dear dear christian do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth that will ultimately fade away. Rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in His eternal kingdom by pursuing the properties of perfect love. A loving person bears all things, believes all things. Number 14, hopes all things. A loving person hopes all things. A loving person never loses hope. We should never lose hope. Why? Because our hope is not in the things of this world. Our hope is in the power of God and His eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. That's our hope. Paul makes this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. God is our deliverer. In hard times, dear Christian, God is our hope. Whatever you may be going through, whatever situation, whatever circumstance in life that you may be going through, however difficult that might be, God is your hope. He is your hope. 
He who crucified his only son for your sins, he will deliver you from every trial and tribulation in the end. What hardship are you facing? What difficult time are you facing? Are you facing cancer? Are you facing COVID? Are you facing sickness that might likely end to death? Your hope is not in doctors and nurses and and the public health system. Your hope is not in the things of this world. Your hope is in God. He will deliver you. He will deliver you. He has delivered you in Christ Jesus. And one day he will welcome you into his eternal kingdom. Our hope is in God. We hope all things. Perfect love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And finally, perfect love endures all things. Perfect love endures all things. That is, perfect love never gives up. Perfect love never gives up. How many people do you think gave up on that thief hanging next to Jesus on Calvary's cross? How many people had wrote him off? They had written him off. He's a nobody. He's done done gone too far now. There he is. He has received the penalty of death. He is hanging on the cross. The world had given up on him. But Jesus did. Even on Calvary's cross, that thief turned to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said, surely today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, how easy it is to give up on people. To write them off as a lost cause. But I want you to know that love endures all things. God can melt the hardest of hearts. You may be at your wit's end with a difficult person, but love endures. Love endures. Love bears through the pain. It bears through it all. It hopes in the power of God. It endures all things. It perseveres. It never gives up. As one writer says, like Christ on the cross, love endures scorn, failure, ingratitude. At the end shines out the light of Easter. For love never ends. Love endures to the very end. Pursue the properties of love, dear Christian. Pursue the properties of love. You know what? It starts with your closest neighbor. It starts with your own family. Dear Christian, pursue the properties of love as you're dealing with your your husband, your wife, your children, your parents. Pursue the properties of love in your own household. And then expand that pursuit in the realm of the church. As we come together as one body in Christ, sharing our spiritual gifts with one another, building one another up in love, we're to pursue the properties of love in the church. We're to show love towards other people, even when they irritate us. Even when they get on our nerves. We're to love them. We're to withhold our anger and pursue peace. We're to be patient and kind. And then from the church, we expand it even further to our friends and our acquaintances at work. We we extend it to the people in our community. We love them. Even when they're hard to love, we pursue the properties of love and our relationship with them. And then we expand it even further. We expand it to include those who are our enemies, who hate us, who want bad things for us, who, who, 
who mean evil against us, Jesus says, love them. Love them. Pursue the properties of love even in your relationship with your worst enemy. Dear Christian, pursue the properties of love. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, your pursuit of perfect love starts by pursuing love of God, by seeking to love God, turning to God. And the only way you can love God is because He first loved you. And He demonstrated His perfect love for you by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to live and to die for you in your place on Calvary's cross. Jesus died for you, dear, dear, dear friend. He sacrificed Himself for you. And today He calls you, He invites you into a love relationship with Him. Your first act of love is to turn away from your rebellion, turn away from your, your living against God, living in sin, and turning to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He's standing there with his arms open. Come to me. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Will you come to him today? Will you trust him? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Certainly, perfect love only resides with you. And Lord, you demonstrate your perfect love towards us time and time and time again. You look past our sins. You look past our failures. And you love us. You're gracious to us. Even while we were yet sinners, you sent your son to die for us. Thank you, God, for your perfect love. And Lord, as your spirit lives within us, Lord, we pray that you would give us the power and the ability to pursue the properties of perfect love in our own lives. Help us, Lord. We confess we need your help. We need your power to put self on the cross and live for Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us to pursue perfect love. And Lord, certainly there are those who are watching, who are listening, who are here, who've never trusted in Jesus. They've never experienced your perfect love. Lord, I pray today that you would touch their hearts, melt their hearts to let them know you and to know your love in Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.